Podcast 005, Urban Permaculture. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. Live from Ashland, Oregon, home of the Shakespeare Festival, which we're not attending because it's not going on right now. We're just driving through. It's Paul and Jocelyn. And when I say live, I mean, you know, we're, we're recording this so you can listen to it later at your convenience. It's, it's, it's more convenient this way for you. Yeah. Live. That kind of live. Yeah. Live. Yes. Live when we, when we recorded it. Um, we're... That was Paul and Jocelyn, not Jocelyn and Paul. <laughs> that was a decision I made at the last second. Well, you like it to be all about you anyway. <laughs> Is it that I like it or that I tolerate it? <laughs> um, so, we are taking another request from the Tinkering Forum at permies.com. This time, Al uh, wrote in an interesting request. He said, I'd like to learn more about practicing permaculture in designing a plot of quarter acre or less and how to keep it attractive enough so your neighbors would want to ask how to do this themselves rather than tar and feather you and run you out on a rail. So we were going to do cast iron on this one. So for those of you that, that were like, can't wait till the next episode to hear about cast iron, you got to take it up with Jocelyn and Al. Jocelyn's like actually staying up on top of Here we are driving down the road, and she's like looking up on her Blackberry to see what people are writing in the tinkering forum. So, uh, but, but yeah, Al's, Al's been a good contributor, so, okay, fine, we'll do that. So if you have a request, put it at the t- uh, Tinkering Forum, and, the, and uh, check out other things on permies.com, and provide links to permies.com, right? Oh, yeah, let's talk about the, the link of the day, or the link of the podcast, or whatever. Uh, in the past, I've asked you to make links to stuff as your price tag for this show. Uh, I'll, I'll take the time to make them if... You all, uh, uh, you know, take the time to make a link. So how much, what's it, it, it probably takes us about four hours per podcast to do all the stuff that's involved with it, an hour to record, and then all the other stuff. Um, and so if we take four hours to do this, you know, can you take like a minute or two to do, you know, the other side of it? And uh, that takes up, that frees up my time to do, to do this stuff. Uh, and so today... Uh, the thing is, is, is to talk about, I want to talk about the, uh, the YouTube stuff. <clears throat> uh, please make sure that you go out and uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And uh, most importantly, be my YouTube friend. Uh, YouTube's got a thing where, like, request to be friend or something like that. And then when you do that, that makes it so that when I put up a new video, then I say, email all my friends. Uh, and I'll say, okay, I got a new, got a new video out. And then for each video, within the first 24 hours, that's the, the most important part, is the, the first 24 hours part, uh, go out and give it a thumbs up and um, add it to your favorites and add a comment um, uh, for, for each of the new videos within the first 24 hours. The earlier you do it, the, the more it helps uh, my evil empire. Thank you. And... Paul's evil empire is about spreading more ideas about permaculture and sustainability and homesteading and um, seems to be topics that 
there's a large following for, and a lot of people want to get that message out even further. And videos are great snippets of ways to do that. So, doing permaculture on a quarter acre lot or less. Um, typically, your presentations are about the larger full farm ecosystem system. I, yeah, I have to admit that the the large large scale stuff is where my passion really is. But now I've I've done some stuff. I uh, like in 2006, I uh, did some study in intentional community and lived in a few different intentional communities. Uh, and you know that would be some co- podcast fodder there someday uh, for those that are interested in traveling that path. Um, but uh, one of them uh, was um, quite urban. It was a uh, a city lot inside of Seattle, and um, uh, and so you know the the and it was a rental. So the uh, uh, there's like 11 of us living under one roof. Um, and uh, uh, the landlord, you know, wanted things to have that kind of landscapey look, which, which is kind of, I believe, the, the concern we're talking about here, where it's kind of like, well, you know, my neighbors have been trained to admire a landscaped look. You know, that look where you make nature your personal bitch. Uh, raping nature, the, the raping nature look, that's, that's what they have been trained to appreciate, and you want to not offend their delicate sensibilities. So we were able to do a fair bit of permaculture while at the same time trying to um, not be too offensive in that space. And, and it seems like I think we had really good success. So, uh, and and, uh, and at the same time, I get invited out to a lot of people's um, uh, urban or suburban uh, gardens, and, uh, uh, and I, I give a lot of advice there too. Uh, and so uh, I'll attempt to make a summary. I'll attempt to, to give tips. Right. And, and so a big part of permaculture is trying to grow your own food. And, and so you have a preference for how people should be growing some of their food. Well, well yeah. And, and I mean, like I, and maybe it's fair to say that uh, a lot of people are going to do permaculture level one, and some people are going to go full bore and do permaculture level ten. Um, for my personal preferences, um, you know, when I go and I see somebody set up and, and they're not even doing raised beds, I, I just want to leave. I just don't want to even talk to them. Um, and uh, it's, it's like that's, that's the bare minimum, a raised bed about two feet tall. That's, that's like just getting started. I mean, you know, um, and then, of course, polyculture and things like that. Now, I... I uh, yeah, I've got a lot of things where it's like the, the bare minimum what I want to even talk about. And I think having raised beds, I mean, we're talking about permaculture level one or two at least. Uh, and I just made this up, permaculture levels, like in the last um, two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. While I was talking to you, I'm innovating simultaneously. It's like parallel processing. <laughs> that, that's, but that's like your eco-level thing. It's, it seems very similar to your Wheaton's eco-scale that you've written about at Permies. But I, I have scales for all kinds of things. I mean, yeah. I, I think a lot of things in life are not um, Boolean, you know, on or off. Uh, but, but um, you know, it, it's going to be more accurate to be represented as a spectrum. And, and there's an infinite number of values in the spectrum. So, uh, um, but basically, you know, the thing is, is that some people, I've, I've been to a lot of places and they're saying, look, I'm doing permaculture, and it's all in rows, and they're irrigating, and um, there's no raised beds, and, and frankly, I don't see it at all, but, uh, but they're, they're saying it is, and, 
What are you going to do? Well, I I see two things to talk about with the raised beds. What you know, some people may not be aware of, of benefits to that that may seem obvious to others. Um, so talk a little bit about what the benefits of raised beds are and that you'd really prefer this getting to a hugel culture level. And I know um, we talked a little bit about that. And, and, and But start with raised beds. Why raised beds? Okay, with raised beds, you can make sure that you're, uh, you have good soil that's at least two feet deep. Um, uh, when it rains, the, the, the soil tends to be, well, I'll back up a step. The soil tends to be less compacted. With a raised bed, you're not walking on it. You're, you're, you're working around it. So that soil tends to be less compacted. More, uh, it holds more air, more water. Uh, uh, the, the roots will grow down faster. It's, I mean, it, it's kind of like a big part of, of having a no-till system. Um, uh, there, there's so much more you can do with a raised bed. Uh, when it rains, because it's not so compacted, there's no puddling. It'll, it, the water will run through. Um, and if there's puddling at the bottom, like inside the raised bed at the bottom where you can't really see it, then that water, when it's dry, will often wick up. And, and so everything gets just the, you know, it's not drowning in water. Uh, it's getting lots of air. It's often getting just the right amount of water. Um, plus, the other, you know, for any colder region, like such as Montana, where I live, then usually a raised bed that's two feet tall will give you two weeks of extra growing season on either end of the season. So you end up with a net total of four weeks of extra growing season. So you're you're rising, you're raising your stuff up above the frost because frost kind of it's not that frost pools, but the cold air pools and causes frost. I remember being at a um, design. Uh, design presentation for a permaculture design course, and they had created these raised bed keyhole gardens, um, but they had put them in, in on the slope in the backwards way so that they were actually catching the cold air as it would roll down the hill instead of encouraging the cold air to roll past. Uh, that was a big learning moment for me, the idea of thinking about uh, the frost cold air like a liquid, and you need to put your raised beds not so they're catching that cold air, but so that they're encouraging it to run past. I think when trying to think of cold air patterns, which I think is, is really a discussion for another day, um, it, it requires a bit of imagination. I like to think of it as like um, as kind of like molasses, great big oceans of molasses. It's, it's thick, it's heavy, it's, it, and it definitely runs downhill. And, uh, and I think I've pointed out to you several places where we've been, like at, at uh, 21 Acres or by your place, how the, there's a bunch of stuff not growing in an area. And I pointed out how it went downhill, and then it was kind of like a, a bunch of trees growing in a semicircle. And I was like, well, yeah, all the, all the frost heads that way, and all those trees stop. But I mean, the frost pools there. Right. Yeah. So, so the other thing you talked about, uh, when we... We had some previous discussions about this to get ready for this podcast, and we were talking about raised beds, and we were talking about, you mentioned starting with raised beds instead of all of a sudden building eight-foot hugel culture in your yard. So can you explain what you meant by that? Okay. So I, I had the, question, the original question was, is like, how do I keep my neighbors from tar and feathering me? 
Um, you know, and the first thing is, is shoot them first before they shoot you. But there's laws against that, so that could be kind of awkward with the law and all. Uh, uh, you know, I don't want to even get into owning guns. <laughs> you opened up a big one there, Paul. <laughs> that that's for the survivalist podcast, not us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, um, but uh, uh, yeah, don't don't shoot your neighbors. Don't, and then if you do shoot your neighbors, don't say I said that. Now I'm saying don't do it. Okay, man. I'm glad we had this chat. That, this is good. This is good. Good. Uh, let's talk about a hugo culture. So, I, I mean, ba- basically, you can have a two-foot-tall um, uh, raised bed and do hugo culture inside of that. Uh, and then uh, on the third year, you won't need to water it much. I mean, you might water it every three weeks or so, uh, maybe every two weeks. Um, but then if you uh, uh, build it up to six feet tall, then uh, you won't have to water it at all. And I think that's far more aligned with permaculture. I mean, we're getting closer to permaculture level 10. Um, but, what, um, but what you mentioned is you start out, what you want is an evolution, not a revolution. So you don't want to do the shock and awe with your neighbors. You kind of want to work into this. And plus, it's just a lot easier to gradually build a system than just oh, the massive energy it takes to go from zero to ten. Just evolution, right? I think we need to pause the podcast for a moment because we're coming up on crazy. All right, so we uh, we had to go through inspection, it turns out. So they uh, they, they stopped us. They stopped all cars, and then they, uh, the, the lady uh, uh, at, the, at the booth asked me if we had any fruit, and I said, is that it? You, you stopped me because you're hungry? And, and then it was awkward, but we finally got through inspection. We're good now. We're good. You have a talent for the awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, and uh, now if I remember correctly, we were talking about evolution versus revolution. So, of course... Uh, you know, because uh, we're trying to minimize the, uh, the 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 freak out factor of our neighbors, and I, and we don't want to forget that we're trying to show them how cool, better, and easier some permaculture methods might be. So I want to I want to I want to lay a little bit of groundwork just real quick. I mean, so one is is that how freaked out your neighbors are going to get is of course going to be relative. Some people are going to have neighbors that are going to like be totally apathetic, and some some are going to be really anal retentive and so and, it, and it's also quite possible that you might have your neighbor to the left is going to have uh, this um, uh, pure Kentucky bluegrass and, and nothing else growing and um, uh, you know mowed to a half inch high and clearly a chem lawn uh, and, and they're going to demand that you do exactly the same thing and then your neighbor to the right is going to have gone with this whole xeriscape thing of like they've got nothing but rocks. It's one great big gob of rocks and nothing else. And that neighbor is going to demand that you do exactly as they have done. And uh, so you're 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 kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You you got no choice. You're you're screwed no matter which way you go. Another scenario is is that you've got neighbors that have the exact same setup and they really don't give a damn what you do. Um, and so uh, there's that. Uh, another aspect to consider is that generally most folks have like a, a front yard 
and a backyard. Uh, and in their backyard, they can really do whatever they want, walk around naked. Uh, and, and the neighbors are uh, either don't care or they're not supposed to care. And if they do start to care, then, you know, you can always say, hey, I walk around naked back there, as is my right, as an American. And then, and, and so what are you doing? You're looking back there, you're some sort of peeping Tom, some sort of pervert. Uh, I want to call the police. I want to have them put you in jail. So, so really, your backyard, you, you should be able to do anything that you really want to do, as long as you're not, like, um, creating some sort of pollution source for the neighborhood or anything. Uh, and it's so, so we're going to focus focus on the front yard, um, and uh, uh, and talk about that and, and how to not annoy your neighbors. And then later, I think we're going to on our list that we kind of we were preparing for this podcast talk about uh, other ways to to possibly help mitigate those issues. All right, so let's let's assume that that your neighbors might be weird. And I'm not exactly sure what they're doing. Are they are they going to call the police? Are they going to call? I mean, I'm sure. Well, speaking of, we do need to do a quick aside that if you're in a neighborhood with covenants, you are required and legally bound to follow those covenants. If you're in a homeowner's association or or uh, planned unit development, they're sometimes called, there are rules that by purchasing in that community, you have contracted to follow those rules. And if you don't, um, I've actually heard of cases where people have lost their home by not following the rules because the legal fees skyrocketed and they lost the case and had to sell their home to cover the legal fees. So follow your covenants, and if you don't like the covenants, work within your group to get approval to change those rules or covenants. But that's just a quick aside on one piece of the legality. Or, or move to 80 acres. That's even better. <laughs> I, I think yeah. you should move. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I think a lot of people would agree with you, but a lot of people, we're talking about quarter-acre lots, right? Okay, all right. We'll make the best of what we've got for now. All right, so... Um, uh, one one thing is is that yeah permaculture is going to be uh, uh, it, it's going to be outside of the zone that people have been trained to like people want this landscaped look and um, and that's like oh you have a landscaped look you know you have bare soil and you have monoculture monoculture and bare soil that is what we like and appreciate you are permitted to put down mulch that is not appropriate for those plants. That's acceptable. Um, and so, whereas permaculture is a little bit more polyculture-esque, we're going to have plants helping plants helping plants. Um, we're going to try and uh, take a lot of our wood and introduce it to the soil, things of that nature. So, um, uh, one one approach is we, we, we talked about was evolution versus revolution. So, rather than putting in a six-foot-tall hookaculture bed and planting it not only uh, with plants people may recognize, but plants that they may not recognize as uh, your your interesting different kinds of food plants. Um, I just wanted to interject to that. I know you're a big fan of the Ruth Stout method, and she mulches, mulches, mulches. And I think with a quarter-acre property, you you have the possibility to physically mulch a lot more and and have a less weedy look than you would on more of the larger 80-acre farm like you talk about. Right, and and so I, I and I do think that that's a big thing with an eighty acre farm. The idea is going to be that you're going to um, <clears throat> try to not bring on too many things because it just costs more, and and you're going to your attitude is going to be like you're going to have planted throughout your eighty acres. It's all in permaculture, like a hundred or two hundred apple trees, 
And if two or three apple trees uh, are, are looking a little poorly, well, you know what? That's how survival of the fittest works. Those are not a fit for that land, and so let them go. Uh, on the other hand, if, if you're on a quarter-acre lot, you might have precisely one apple tree, and you don't want to lose 100% of your crop. So now you're going to go a uh, step away from permaculture a little bit and embrace a bit more of the master gardener approach, like what can I do to, you know, force this tree to stay alive? Um, you know, that, that kind of mentality. But let's, I, I want to, before I forget, <laughs> I want to talk about the evolution versus revolution thing. And that is that, um, so for example, I think hugel culture is really, on small acreage, hugel culture is awesome and brilliant and the way to go. And so let's, let's really uh, embrace that as a, as a final destination, maybe five years down the road. And, and now let's say that a raised bed uh, that's two feet tall is acceptable. Like, like your neighbors will be like, well, that's a little odd. But I'm not going to call the police about that. I'm not going to go and raise hell with somebody because I'm bored and get them to take that down. So you do a two-foot-tall raised bed, um, and then as the years pass, you just keep adding enough mulch, kind of like what Jocelyn was saying, that the height of the bed will go up. It'll, it'll become taller and taller as the years pass. And, and one of the mulch layers that you can add is you can, you, can, you know, take um, uh, some, some, uh, some snippers and, and, you know, whatever wood that you're trimming, just, just lay them on top of the bed as, as a mulch. And, uh, and I'm a big fan of hay mulch, like, you know, like Jocelyn said, the root stout method, um, although if you're going to get hay, make sure that you either get organic hay or that you get alfalfa. Alfalfa is a broadleaf plant, and most of the herbicides to be concerned about are broadleaf herbicides. So, um, therefore, yeah, alfalfa hay or organic hay. Um, so now, uh, as the years pass, you can get closer and closer to having a full hugel culture bed um, just by adding more and more organic matter on the top. So now we're evolving to a six-foot-tall Google culture bed as opposed to, you know, suddenly, boom, it's in there and the neighbors are like, that's too radical for me to accept and I'm going to have to raise a hissy fit. So as you're gradually building your system, along the way, you're likely producing food and I know you've talked about producing tomatoes and that, you know, sometimes the proof is in the pudding, right? That's that's true. I, I think that in your uh, front yard, um, and if you're concerned about what your neighbors think, I, I think that it would be good to plant only those things that uh, your neighbor's going to recognize. And uh, because if you start planting a bunch of very interesting things, then uh, your your neighbor might get weird about that. So we're we're trying to we're trying to minimize possible weirditude. Um, I think it would be great to plant uh, a tomato plant. You know, try and try and get yourself a tomato plant planted there that's going to end up being eight feet tall and has 200 pounds of tomatoes. And then, and then you share the tomatoes with your neighbors, and that's another way of, of uh, mitigating any kind of issue. But if you grow something that has some sort of odd fruit that they're not sure if it's toxic or not, then they're going to, it's like because they don't recognize it. Oh, it could be poisonous. My children might wander over there and eat that and die. Um, uh, then, you know, whereas a tomato plant, they'll recognize it, they'll know what it is, they'll know that it's not poisonous. Well, <laughs> actually, the leaves of a tomato plant are poisonous. 
But um, but but they'll they'll seem to think it's safe. <laughs> You'll have faked them out. Right. Uh, and that and that's another part of um, you can do a sector analysis of your site in a permaculture design system and and just analyze uh, you know the different um, visions of the communities, what they see in, what you see out. You can factor in screening and noise, and, and that's a good part of any kind of good landscape design. Right. So um, uh, I, I, I guess the, the wrap-up for the, the hula culture thing is is that um, if, it's, if you add a foot each year for several years, uh, if they were to ever complain, it's like, well, what, why, why complain? This was here last year, wasn't it? What's what's the complaint? What's the concern? What's the issue? And um, you know why didn't why are you complaining this year? But you didn't complain last year, and uh, and so I think I think that that you know the neighbors themselves will probably not complain by that point because well hopefully you'll have put tomatoes in their belly and and uh, um, and and then they'll they'll come to to know that it's safe and maybe even they'll think it's awesome. And I think part of the question was is how do we do something that's really persuasive to people? And and I think that because um, I, I think the the guy asking the question was asking about that. How do I how do I uh, convince my neighbors that permaculture is awesome? I think that if you've got a tomato plant that's like 10 feet tall and loaded with 200 pounds of tomatoes sitting out front where they can all see it, I think I think pretty much everybody is like wanting to know how you did it. And uh, if you say that uh, it involves voodoo and dancing backwards every third day, I think that they'd be into that. I think that they'd sign up. They'd be like, I'm, I'm going to do some of that too. Yeah. Well, and, and there's also, at the very early stages, getting, um, you know, even if you don't have neighborhood covenants or things like that that you have to worry about, but there's other organizations that can be your advocates. We talked a little bit about some of those. Um, I know in my area, our water district is really big on finding ways to have lower um, irrigation. You know, they do a lot of education on lawn maintenance for less irrigation and plants that require less irrigation they even do classes so the local water district can be an advocate well I think what they're after is is that they're worried about water going into the sewage systems or the um, the uh, the rainwater uh, uh, system right the, the storm drain yeah we also have in the Seattle area a lot of concerns about stormwater runoff that's not being um, handled very well so they're offering free classes on people building rain gardens to capture and filter stormwater runoff in the urban areas. Um, and there's the backyard wildlife designation. I think uh, that can be done even in a food-producing backyard. And so then you've got an advocate for a more natural look. Right. I, I think anytime you can connect up with any office and get support from them and uh, uh, then when you go to do something and if it falls within, you know, it falls close to their stuff, then uh, when somebody, if somebody were to have a complaint, it's like, hey, you know, I'm just doing what the city told me to do. You know, you're saying the city is going to come out here and beat me up, but it was the city that said to do it. <laughs> right, right. And then the... That's how I imagine your voice sounds. <laughs> I don't know. I said that. <laughs> Great. Great. And now I pissed off somebody else. <laughs> oh, you... Yes. 
<laughs> but but the two other groups I made notes about um, that I knew off the top of my head. There's a lot of food not lawns groups, um, and there's a book food not lawns. There's a group in um, Olympia, Washington, Tara Commons. They help people convert their front lawns into gardens. And then there's also I know Larry Santoyo in the L.A. area um, has a. a uh, lawns to food program and I think some of those they may know some local resources if you connect with groups like that on, on how to get some um, advocates or information at the very least in your corner yeah <clears throat> um, uh, basically get you know get, get support from somebody who's going to stand up for you if the neighbors start getting wonky about any of this that's the way to go um, alright what else we got on this list I, I, I well, Right. So Paul, Paul is uh, driving. We're heading. We're in California. We're heading to a permaculture homestead, actually. Um, so that'll be exciting to see what's going on there. The other part, um, since Al, in his post out at the Tinkering Forum, used the word permaculture, doing permaculture on a quarter acre lot, we've been talking about food growing systems and plant systems, and and. Permaculture is about more than just food and plants, and I think that gets lost with a lot of people who are new to permaculture. And and a lot of um, what happens on even a quarter acre lot is people capture rainwater to use um, for their irrigation, or or even sometimes for other use. Um, they they um, have alternative energy, or they do some eco building, and a lot of that involves reuse and recycling. So sometimes there's junk piles, but there's there's this whole other aspect of of permaculture that I think can be um, uh, catch people at different stages and and it, with different aesthetics. Well, I do think that having, I mean, a lot of reuse is really great. I, and I, on Permies, I know we got a lot of different stories of people who have reused a lot of really interesting things, and I love those stories. And um, but junk piles would be something I'd say, yeah, don't don't be putting any junk piles in your front yard. In fact, I don't. I, on any big farm, you're going to have what I always call the boneyard, where it's all the bits and bobs that you've saved from one thing or another. Um, but that's always kind of tucked away somewhere, I think. I, I think I, I like the idea of not looking at the boneyard. Um, and I do think it's going to get picked up. But I do want to <clears throat> try and rant a little bit about rain barrels. Maybe I'll keep it under two minutes. Um, see, my, my advice about rain barrels is usually uh, don't. Yeah. Boy, that was less than two minutes. Maybe I, maybe I should go into it a little bit further. Uh, fill, fill the two minutes out. Uh, and and so, uh, really, I, I think a lot of people are just like, okay, I'm going to do rain barrels, then I'm going to go and water uh, my garden. And and what I want to advocate is uh, using other techniques, such as culture. Now, now, I do have a, a big, long thing to do about um, replacing irrigation with permaculture, but I'm going to... I want to wait and do that on Jack's show uh, in a little... Which Jack's show is the survival podcast. Yeah, the survival. He's asked me to come back a third time, and, and he wants that to be the issue. So I, I'm really, uh, uh, out of respect for Jack, I'll wait and, and do that, do it there. But um, I think if, if you're doing a really good permaculture system, you won't need any irrigation. Therefore, you don't need those rain barrels. And to me, it's like uh, a big part of permaculture is... is uh, you know, being more aligned with nature and um, 
adding in a manufactured product like a rain barrel doesn't seem more aligned with nature. Uh, uh, I think a better way is, is, is to reduce the need for, for, uh, for irrigation. On the other hand, it's like if, if you're living in an area that's so desert, desertified that uh, you need drinking water or washing water or you're just low on water and water is $10 a gallon, well, okay, now, now a rain barrel makes good sense. But uh, um, if you've got city water and the water is freaky cheap, uh, um, my, my concern with using city water on a garden is, is that it contains chlorine. Uh, um, and I, and, but, but still, uh, um, you know, you've traded, you've, you've traded one problem, the water with chlorine, with another problem with, with water that's coming off of a roof. And if you're in a city, it's like a lot of that water is kind of polluted. I'd want to... I'd want to run it through some filters or something before doing anything with it. Um, so, I, you know, everybody's like, oh, rain barrels are so awesome. I got rain barrels, therefore I'm awesome. And uh, it's like, okay, well, you're awesome in somebody's book. Like rain, like the Rain Barrel Manufacturing Incorporated, they think you're awesome. But uh, but on for me, I'm uh, and, and, hey, this show's about my obnoxious opinion. And, and, and my obnoxious opinion is, is, no, you, you you actually have negative awesome points in in my book. Um, well, and then I think what happens sometimes with permaculture or even people that do, we talked on a different podcast about um, people getting a bit dogmatic, or you, you were even talking about the Chemlon people, you have to do it my way, the manicured, overly green, monoculture lawn. Or the zero escape people, you have to do it my way. I think sometimes we get permaculture people saying, "Well, I'm reusing, I'm recycling, so it's it's good that I have junk piles. It's good that I have this reused, weird-looking barrel for my water." Uh, whereas I think a, a more middle ground approach would be, like you said, tuck the ju- junk piles in the back. Or even if 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 you disagree with Paul and you like your rain barrels. If you're maybe screening them with a little bamboo um, edging or something, you know, there's there's ways to find middle grounds um, that I think are still appropriate. You know, I've I've seen those uh, food grade barrels being used for things other than rain barrels, and I and I, and I, I have encountered places where it's like, okay, see all these barrels are are a company which I think it was like a company that made pesto. Um, and it's like, okay, we've got all these buckets and all these barrels, and we're just going to throw them in the dumpster. And I, I like the idea of using them for something else instead. And uh, I've seen them being used in urban gardens, and it, and it helps to uh, create uh, layers and levels that in, in some situations would be difficult to do without annoying your neighbors. Um, and I'm not a big fan of container gardening because uh, it doesn't seem very permaculture-esque to me. On the other hand, um, you know, when you're in a, a small space, um, it's like, boy, container gardening might be all you got. Oh, oh, and this is a good point to talk about um, Seth Holzer's work in in a, a more urban uh, thing. He's got uh, two big things that pop into my head that that he thinks are just awesome for small urban spaces. And um, one of them he calls the sausage. And this is where he takes landscape felt and he, he kind of makes a sausage, sausage shape of soil inside of it 
Um, and, and then he kind of wraps it like pigs in a blanket or something. And so now you've got this, this like eight foot tall tube of soil wrapped in landscape uh, felt. And then he pokes holes in the felt and sticks plants in there. And now you've got something resembling a, a vertical garden. And he's done a variety of variations of things with this. And um, we've got a, a thread out on Permies, which I believe is about urban permaculture. And I, and I posted pictures of one of those. Uh, and it also had pictures of uh, uh, a, wooden frame, a wood-framed uh, raised bed that was, I believe, about a foot and a half to two feet tall. And uh, they were planting a lot of stuff in this raised bed. And then they had sticks of wood sticking straight up in it, which they had inoculated with mushroom spores. So uh, uh, they were going to have a very productive, very small space, uh, which I thought was just awesome and amazing. So this is probably a good time to wrap up and talk about the different links we have. Did I miss judge time? Let me look. No. Um, so out of, out of Permies, there's always more about urban homesteading, urban permaculture, as well as um, the full farm ecosystem and, and more information out there. I, I think we covered everything on our list about the quarter acre lot, and that, again, was a suggestion from the Tinkering Forum. Um, we didn't go into too much about designing a system for the it, it depends area. That's the only thing we missed on our list as I'm going into wrap-up mode. Um, just, you know, anyway, that's that's a whole well, big yeah. topic. I mean, we covered it depends a lot, I think. I mean, basically everything, it depends. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's also stuff like soil. Like, what is, so as we try to, <laughs> people, people get upset with permaculture folk because it's like they ask these vague questions and then it's like, all of our all of our answers are vague, <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, how you're gonna do your raised beds depends on like what you think your neighbors might be annoyed by. Um, another one is like, well, what kind of soil are we talking about? And did you want to plant a bunch of trees out there, or uh, you know, are we talking? So it gets really complicated really fast, and there's no way we could possibly cover all scenarios. Um, and uh, so yeah, it depends. It depends. It depends. So, um, if you have other topics you'd like for um, for our podcast, go out to the Tinkering Forum. There's a place you can make a request. And Paul Paul is building a community at Permies.com where uh, hopefully it's more like dealing with real people and you get to know these people. And so he's looking for people with first name, last name on the forums. And then he talked at the beginning about friending him on YouTube and what a difference that makes in getting permaculture or sustainability or self-sufficiency topics to the forefront of the YouTube stage. I think when Paul was first looking into YouTube, he was looking at the how-to section, and it was all these... <laughs> <laughs> it's called how-to and style. So I started posting my stuff out there, and it's like, so when I'd look at the main stage for how-to and style, nearly all the videos had to be were about how to put on your makeup. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's not really the crowd you're looking for, is it, or that you fit with? So now, now I post I, I post almost everything under science and technology, but 
I'd say about half the videos now are hitting the science and technology stage, and they only they're only there for a day. They're just because it's like this is what's hot today. And I'll be on like one time. I think the science video was on page one. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. did really well. Yeah. So um, the next topic will be about cast iron pans, um, and I think. I think we've covered about everything on this one for today, but I think there's so much more that has been discussed. Oh, I forgot to mention the uh, Food for a Year Forum. I thought that had some great ideas on what types of food to grow in a permaculture system, whether it's urban or more rural. Um, there's some people who put some really great info on, in that thread, too. So I think... Well, I, yeah, that's a thread, not a forum. And, and I remember lo- reading that because... There were a bunch of people getting really passionate, and I ended up deleting a bunch of stuff. <clears throat> this might be a good time to point out that the forums are, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different philosophies, and there's a, a lot of different ways of looking at permaculture. And, and if you go and you take a, a permaculture design course, or you see somebody present on permaculture, or take a permaculture workshop, I would have to guess that, that most of the people who, who teach this stuff are really these uh, amazingly um, awesome, connected people, really uh, um, pleasant, lovely, and charming, and I'm not one of them. Uh, and so if you ask me to speak, you're going to get this flavor that might not be the flavor that you want. Uh, and my forums are kind of managed that way, too. Uh, a lot of people come and want to tell me that uh, here's the kind of conversation that I need to allow, and then I usually delete their stuff and ban them. Uh, and uh, uh, so what I want to end up with is a bunch of people, uh, you know, a place for me to express my opinion on stuff, and then a bunch of people who kind of seem to get where I'm at. They like where I'm at, or they like what I talk about, or they like this way. And uh, and so far, we're, like, right now, as of this podcast, we're getting about 6,000 people a day out there. Uh, so it's a, it's a big crowd, and it is the biggest permaculture site on the net. Um the way you phrase that, it sounds like everybody has to agree with you, and and I think that's not exactly accurate. I think the point is that the forums is is to keep it on topic and and discuss the topic, not uh, flame wars and not insulting each other. So you keep it on top topic, keep it more scientific and fact based, and and I think that's. That's your strong suit, and it's not so much just about you and your opinions. A lot of people have a lot of different opinions on there, as long as they stick to the facts. I, I think that the I, I don't think it's even that they need to stick to the facts. I think that they need to stick to their opinions. Thank you. And I and I and, and I allow uh, um, everybody to have an opinion that's different than mine. No problem. That's great. But when somebody stands up and tells me what opinions I'm allowed to have, that's where I have a problem. And that's where they have to go. And so we get people coming in and they say, permaculture is this. And if you say anything else, that's not allowed. And then that's, I usually delete that. Okay. I just thought it was important to clarify that because I think you are making yourself sound like more of an ogre than you are. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I think uh, to those people that I've banned, I am, I am the ogre king, and, uh, and I'm okay with that. Okay. Um, it's, it's like the whole black hat, white, white hat thing. Uh, you know, the, the guys wearing the black hats think that the, uh, the guys wearing the white hats are the bad guys, you know. So it's kind of like, uh, um, and I, I embrace that, you know, they're going to be mad at me. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm fostering a certain kind of culture out of the forums. 
Right. And um, and that culture is respective of other people's opinions, as opposed to I mean, usually when people stand up and they say you're not allowed to think that way, they usually do it in the name of hearts and flowers and rainbows, because that's what's good for the people. Is everybody has to do things my way, and and it's it's like uh, uh, no, that's, that's got to go. And and the other thing is is that the forums are also for discussion about beyond organic and beyond GMOs and. Uh, uh, and there's some people, people. Sometimes people want to talk about herbicides. Nope, not not. You got to go find someplace else to talk about that. And then uh, uh, politics. I don't want any politics or religion there. Uh, uh, it's just too. It just becomes flame wars too quickly. Yeah, I've, I you know I want to move forward with with permaculture, and I've got and I and I really believe that it's like let's talk about the nuts and bolts of doing it. So each thread represents a nut or bolt about how do we move forward with permaculture. And I don't want to start getting into these whole things. People want to talk about uh, philosophy and politics and, like, you can't do permaculture unless you first understand this heady thing that I don't, frankly, understand. So um, I, I think we do great talking about, you know, hey, how do we not annoy our neighbors? Right. You know? Right. Well, and how do you... Oh, city repair. Oh, yeah, that's a good topic for this one. Is is the city repair folks are doing some interesting stuff in this space? How to get along with your neighbors? How to do things more out there? Uh, and, and and that's a big building community, not even just building your own yard system or own permaculture system. That's the broader community. Right. Explore that space yeah. if you want to talk about how to not piss off your neighbors while doing permaculture. Right. Um, and then you know, there's there's also uh, uh, that fella Norris down in Portland, I thought he had, like, and, of course, his neighbors seemed to be totally cool with what he was doing, and uh, he's he's got a, an urban lot that's pretty big, and uh, and he's, he's full bore permaculture all the way, trees and shrubs, everything, right out the very front. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you could even do different classes or, or workshops or tours. Um, that's another way to help educate the folks on what's going on and what you're doing. We forgot about that part, too. So here we were trying to wrap up. We segued into talking about different things. Um, but I think um, I think that's pretty much a wrap. Well, if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about urban food production, homesteading, and permaculture all the time.